I was born in the city of Dublin on the 10th of November, 1879. My father was an Englishman. My grandfather and grandmother on my father's side were, I assume, born in London. But my grandfather's family was certainly of Devonshire origin. The three children of the marriage were born in London, but while they were young the family removed to Birmingham. My father was a sculptor and had, as it were, only drifted to Ireland. But Ireland was to become his home, and through his children, his name was to become an Irish name. Pierce Senior was certainly a man of very wide reading, and I think it's important to stress also that he was self-educated. He had no formal education whatsoever. He had gone to work in a gruesome chain factory in Birmingham at the age of eight, and worked there for two or three years, um, had attended for a short time a Sunday school conducted by a Unitarian minister, uh, and there he possibly learned to read. Uh, the Sunday school activities didn't last too long. I think his questioning mind uh, irritated the minister, who accused him of being an atheist and drove him from the class, it would appear. Then Torashko Sassner, Noi, Agaskri, Ahern Abirsa, Agaskishanahar, Agaskin, Tradition Kerdiakton son, Agasnevoin and Tradition Kerdiakta, Visham Tradition Keshtahok, Vian Taharanahim Ulmar Gwina, Nevoin Gorelshim pamphlet for Imreel Norahonic Shaka hearing. I can ask Nenehata Faka, the direct pamphlet, a Kurnekeshta, Katigak will go heed on Goklaw. Nirusha Sosta Lashimino of Ian'sne Skolina, if we know him. Nirusha Sosta Dlokalesh, Griff Chunkering in Gallock, Kyonuska Norche, well, Marcia and Gallock are Maiden, Kadavionum Ranona, Digan Dahida. He kept everything, even the luggage labels on his, on his bags coming from Birmingham. I don't know what date that would be. What date would it have been? 1850 or something. Uh, and so on. But uh, I knew nothing about him uh, except to see his photograph. And he wasn't a very personable person. Uh, none of the persons were. They were uh, physically not very beautiful, to say the least of it. James was born in London in 1839. He had two other brothers, William and Harry, or Henry. And their father, James, had come from Devonshire in the early 1830s. Life for them was rather harsh, and it would appear that in the 40s they moved to Birmingham, uh, where each of the three brothers uh, were early employed in a variety of rather heavy manual employment. One of the brothers, William, the eldest, uh, visited Dublin a few times, but eventually found his fortune in America, and uh, two of his sons figured in the Yukon Gold Rush. Their descendants are still to be found in Nebraska and Oregon. Even the grandfather, um, that would be old James Pierce's father, when he came to visit them, delighted them by making wonderful little works of craftsmanship, uh, bird cages in very select fine wood, and. Uh, there were quite a number of these in the, the Pierce family when the old man went back to England. Honig Shaka hearing Eganom Gorevan, a law, Narigate Dolly Stock, on Van Akme, a man Akme Katilakok, a Togal, 
Oglishy Noag as the rain non fashion shinon and Gothic revival. Agus Sheshin County, the Stinius Mo occur Altorica, Agus Jalavana, Insnishapel at Hogug, Egder in the Hishishin, Agus Nequin Lomanam and Alter in Ishbeder Queen Latfene, again Orgur Luther Alter of Oin, Agus Countess Nahaltri, Bovo Clue, and Saishin Aliena, Boy James Pierce, no, and Atelier James Pierce, Agus and Colot, occur our trust gone in Tapel or Foil. There was great scope, really, for carving because churches had more or less uh, endeavoured uh, to, uh, as design-wise, to remake the Gothic style, and the Gothic style had quite an abundance of figure work, of uh, decorative floral carving, and this was something in which the various apprentices could be engaged and. Obviously, as the, the leader uh, paper of the period indicates, uh, the Pierces were very well uh, to the fore in having the biggest yard, as it's generally called, in the country in that respect. Starting as a journeyman with Harrison's, he worked up within a very short time to have his own company in Pier Street and to have a variety of pieces of sculpture and altars around the country. For instance, the National Bank in College Green, the group up over the uh, central door of the National Bank, that's his. Uh, Skibreen Parish Church and Clannacilty have pieces. And um, there's a rather interesting school plaque in County Monaghan, a place called Listdunoin, outside Carrick Macross, where Andrew Maurice was headmaster and uh, where the National Board had erected uh, a plaque which read this Dunan National School, Henri got James Pierce to sculpt a very nice plaque in Irish which read My father entered on the hopeless task of trying to make Irish church builders recognize what was beautiful and religious in sculpture. If ever in an Irish church you find amid a wilderness of bad sculpture something good and true and lovingly finished, you may be sure it was carved by my father or by one of his pupils. Some years back, and on visiting the church, the parish church in Clonakilty, a very beautiful church it is, Gothic style, uh, the side altar, that is the altar of the Sacred Heart, uh, was the work of the Pierce family. Now, I take it that this is the, the altar that was on display in the Cork exhibition of 1902, 1901 or two, I think it's 1902, and which was probably purchased for the parish church uh, by the then parish priest of Clonakilty. I haven't his name and I haven't any details, but I think James Pierce was dead at that time. Few visitors came to our house. My father had not many intimate friends. Those who did come to see him were mostly artists whom he had known in other places and who looked in upon him when passing through Dublin. I liked them for their quaint costumes and their humour and gentleness. Ever since I have looked upon painters and sculptors as a kindly and lovable and pathetic race. Many of the visitors made drawings and paintings of me, sometimes of my head only, and sometimes of my whole body without any clothes on. They said I had a thoughtful face 
and that I was finely shaped. I used to be drawn and modelled and painted by people until my father and mother thought I was getting too big. Well, the father, of course, being English and um, a very prominent man and became very enthusiastic for the Irish cause and published a rather interesting pamphlet on the Home Rule question, um, which I believe was in good demand in its time when Home Rule was the ambition of, I suppose, 80 or 90 percent of the people of this country. Uh, he also sought the upbringing of his youngsters and gave them every encouragement uh, to grow up worthy sons of their own Irish country. The pamphlet is called England's Duty to Ireland as it appears to an Englishman. And the rather cumbersome title, in fact, is a mirror image of the pamphlet, or the title of the pamphlet, which it was intended to answer. Uh, Thomas Maguire, a fellow of Trinity College, um, a Catholic, a very vicious anti-Parnellite, had written in 1886 England's duty to Ireland as plain to a loyal Irish Roman Catholic, a pamphlet of about 5,000 words, which enraged Parnellite opinion and was intended to do so. Uh, its main message was that England should uh, not uh, placate Irish opinion but should, in fact, by enforcing the law rigorously, tame the wild Irish. Uh, Pierce Sr. wrote in his own hand a 20,000-word pamphlet in reply and had at his own cost published uh, this uh, pamphlet in February 1886, uh, published by M. H. Gill and Son O'Connell Street. And it's generally conceded, I think, that the answer was a very thorough and effective one to Maguire's uh, piece of writing. When my father and mother married, there came together two widely remote traditions, English and Gaelic. Freedom-loving both, and neither without its strain of poetry and its experience of spiritual and other adventures. And these two traditions worked in me, and, prized together by a certain fire proper to myself, made me the strange thing I am. What James Pierce Sr. influenced Pierce, uh, Patrick Pierce, uh, most significantly, significantly in relates more to um, the question of his personal intellectual independence. Um, Pierce wrote, I think, in the Clive Solish in 1904, the Gaelic League is concerned with the intellectual independence of the country. And this uh, interpretation of uh, freedom and of intellectual honesty, I think, uh, owes a lot to the kind of person James Pierce was. He wasn't bad for an Englishman. His father had given him a tape recorder, or the tape recorder of the time, which at that time was a wax machine. Pierce spoke it over and over again over that wax recorder. He practiced and practiced. And what he said was, I will say it in a monotone until I come to those lines. The fools, the fools, the fools. And when asked why he deliberated on this, he said, I based it on the Easter liturgy, the Lumen Christi, where the priest rises a tone every time, advancing from the door of the church to the altar. The fools, 
the fools, the fools. Lumen Christi, Lumen Christi, Lumen Christi. Oh, he had no regard. He hadn't? No. Oh, no. He had no regard. He had a recorder when he was a boy doing the plays. They were with those cylinders. They made made yes. a bridge of mentions. Yes, it is. They were all stolen from us. Yeah. Yes. But he didn't record his later speeches no. when he was a grown man. No, he did not. Patrick Pierce was, was um, a very professional man in what he went about, and uh, he was Creek Noel, and he wasn't an off-the-top-of-the-head orator at all. His oratory and his speeches uh, were well thought out and practiced beforehand. And um, unfortunately, uh, the proof of what I'm saying can't be found now, but certainly in the 30s there were uh, phonograph cylinders, is what they call them, in the tall boy in the front hall in Scalena, in which he had uh, practiced uh, that and many other speeches. He acted some of the parts of the play out in those. And he was obviously practicing in front of a mirror and listening to himself to try and get the, the best impact in the combined and, uh, classical uh, method of oratory. He was certainly given to using all the latest techniques and utilizing aids of various kinds. He came back from Belgium, for instance, convinced of the need to use um, projects, models, magic lantern, as he called it, and image animie, which he saw in Belgium. And in the school, he did have a magic lantern. He had a collection of slides, which he took himself over uh, various journeys to France, Belgium, and Italy. And he used these in the teaching of geography and history. It's not surprising, then, that he would be inclined to use um, the earliest type of recorder, the cylinder, wax cylinder, in preparing for his speeches. From his father, then, Podrick Pierce inherited, as well as other gifts, an interest in things mechanical and things beautiful. Like his father, he could apparently, if he so wished, have set about making a successful career in the world of commerce. For James Pierce was a very good businessman, Sean Dowling. He was. So was his son, Patrick. Patrick was a splendid businessman. But except that he would undertook too much. But he was a very shrewd businessman. And managed to do... He, he, what he managed to do with such extraordinarily small resources was astonishing. But he, he doesn't seem to have been good at handling money somehow. He didn't have any to handle. <laughs> well, he was good at getting it then. I'm afraid he didn't get very much. I remember my sister, who was married to Alfred McLaughlin, his nephew, uh, she has told me that uh, her husband often told her that Pierce used to kneel down in the night time and say, Dear God, please send me a thousand pounds. He was continually at his wits' ends for money. On my mother's side, I can go back to a great-great-grandfather, Walter Brady of Nobber in the County Meath, a cabin man by origin. He fought in 98, and one of his brothers was hanged by the O's. Another lies buried in the croppy's grave at Tara. His son, Walter, my great-grandfather, married Margaret O'Connor, who had five sons and three daughters. My mother remembered him as a tall old man who wore knee breeches and a silk hat, and who spoke Irish. My grandfather was tall and gentle and less successful in life than some of his brothers. He had married 
Bridget Savage, a Fingal woman who was the best step dancer of her day in the North County. Their daughter, Margaret, that is, Margaret, daughter of Patrick, son of Walter, son of Walter, was my mother. She is, in certain uh, terms, a contrast, a total contrast to James. She was pious. He, in fact, I think, would have could be best described as not a religious man, but certainly an upright character. Um, she, on the other hand, came from a Dublin family, one generation removed from County Meath. Her uh, family had migrated, the, all five sons and two daughters, from County Meath to the outskirts of the city during the famine. Her father was Patrick Brady and her mother, Bridget Savage, from North County Dublin, Fingal. And there were four members in her family, Walter, Bridget, Catherine and Margaret. Uh, I think it would be fair to describe her father as possibly a combination of a dairy farmer on a small scale, possibly a market gardener. But the general tradition in the family would have been for the boys who had come in from County Meath to acquire land on the edge of the city and attempt to live again the kind of life they had been accustomed to. Um, Margaret Brady was, of course, James Pierce's second wife. His first wife, Emily Susanna Fox, had died after three years of marriage and had borne him two uh, children, James Vincent and Emily, Mary Emily, uh, who later married. And at uh, Emily's wedding, for instance, uh, P.H. Pierce was the train bearer, dressed in a lovely velvet suit, uh, which he describes as uh, being rather becoming for the occasion. And uh, Willie and the other, Mary Bridget, were too young to participate in that particular occasion. Uh, Margaret uh, Brady was 18 years James Pierce's uh, junior, and she was barely 20 when she married him in 1877. Um, the marriage, I think, would have been fairly happy for a while. It, it is suggested that in the latter days it was not, but there's no great evidence, I think, to prove this at all. The assumption being that uh, James Pierce. Um, had a rather uh, clear tendency towards agnosticism and that she was extremely pious and that this was one issue between them. There could also have been, of course, the question of um, his attachment to England and his anxiety to go back. Uh, to the end, when he died in 1900, he still owned property in Birmingham and died um, in Birmingham on September the 5th, 1900, at Great Russell Street. Probably did this house, a very fine house and shop in Bristol Street, just at the commencement of Bristol Road. His intention was to go there and set me up in a bookshop. And he and the half-brother carry on their own business in a small way behind them the yard behind the house. So uh, he decided he would not go when my mother's father lived. I asked him, was he going? No, he said, I'll not take your mother away when poor old Paddy Brady lives because her other daughter, his other daughter is dead. So when the father, grandfather did die, 
I said, are we going now to Birmingham? No, Charlie said, no. You've all taken your places now in your own country, particularly Paddy, and I don't think it'd be right to take you out. I left the damn house. <laughs> That's what he said. How different modern Irish history might have been had James Pierce returned with his family to Birmingham is an interesting subject for speculation. However, the Pierces did move around a lot in Dublin. One of the houses they lived in was only a few doors from the birthplace of the poet W.B. Yeats. Another, at 39 Marlborough Road, Donnybrook, was later occupied by writer and Republican Pader O'Donnell. Padraig O'Snoddy. Well, they were, they were moving, uh, I think, as, according as, as the... Um ladder of respectability was been ascended by them and according that's almost a register of how well they were doing in business the different addresses they had especially around the Sandy Mount area uh, they had one, two or three there before they moved up to um, Donnybrook and uh, I think you can find that um, they're a better class house each time they moved and I think it was uh, not only an investment in business but it was also their own declaration of their own um, arriving, so to speak, at different um, good, solid, bourgeois level in society. And I believe and Clive Sullish helped in a way to promote the father's work. Well, they, were, they, I suppose they kept on mixing their hats, all right, and uh, you will find in on Clive Sullish advertisements and favourable notices for the works of the, the Pierce Atelier, and you will also find the same sort of attention paid in the pages of Sinn Féin and the other papers, um, it wasn't a mutual admiration society, but at least they were very widely awake to everything that was going on under the general umbrella that was called Irish Ireland at the time. It was rather an exciting period, I think, when you see the number of people involved and in the, in the, in the range of activities covered and the way they all believed that they were contributing to a better Ireland in the future, even in their, in their ordinary work. It must have been a very healthy sort of atmosphere in which to live. Our only frequent visitor was Auntie Margaret. When she came, I used to bring a little square stool that was recognised as mine and sit beside her. She spoke of Wolf Tone and of Robert Emmett as a woman might speak of the young men she had known in her girlhood. The young Irelanders she did not talk so much of, except Mitchell. But she had herself known the Fenians, and of them she had songs full of endearing expressions and musical with the names of O'Donovan Rossa and the Hawk of the Hill. She was um, his great-aunt. She was the sister of his grandfather who hadn't married. And she it was, whom Pierce says, influenced her most in terms of exposing him to the richness of uh, the Celtic Gaelic uh, tradition. She would have had some Irish, I would imagine. She certainly knew songs and uh, salutations. And during an illness in his very early childhood, she nursed him. And he attributes uh, her influence to the fact that he early became aware of the Irish tradition. From his great-aunt Margaret, from his mother, from his uncle Christy Brady, Podrick Pierce learned many traditional ballads and songs, though he was never very good at singing them. He was good, however, at recitations, and his favourite, Seamus O'Brien, a stirring piece about 98, he got from his father, Eamon de Barra. The father learned the uh, Seamus O'Brien ballad. It was written by Lefanu, 
and he used to recite it at family gatherings, and young Pat, as Margaret called him, learned it when he was six or seven, about the same age as when I learned it from my mother. And one day, the father came up from the workshop in Great Brunswick Street, now Pierce Street, and stood outside the door to hear young Pat reciting Seamus O'Brien, and after that, Margaret said he would never recite it because young Pat was so much better than he was. Who do you think had most influence on him, the father or the mother? Well, I wouldn't like to differentiate like that because both had uh, influence over him. The father, by his rectitude, by his upholding of the rights of liberty, by his strong championing of Ireland's claim to independence, and the mother, by her love of folklore, by her deep religious fervour, by the way she venerated everything Irish of the highest character. Both of them had uh, influence, and an influence that isn't capable of being measured and compared in that way. It was from his mother that Pierce developed an early love of learning and of books, but he went about acquiring both in a way that may not have altogether commended itself to the Christian brothers of Weston Row. With the frankness and humour of a 16-year-old, he has left us the evidence in a copy of Vindish's Compendium of Irish Grammar, now in Brother William Allen's museum in O'Connell School, Dublin. I have it here before me at the moment, and I see on the flyleaf, the subtitle page, uh, the name Padraig Mark Pierish in pencil, and underneath, in his own neat script, I find this note added. Gildas on Lowershire, on Cougio Law, mean on Nolog, P. MacP. Uh, the year 1895. Yes. Now, in 1895, Mina and I, at Christmas 95, Padraig Pierce was then a student in the senior grade class in Western Row. Uh, his teacher at that time would be Brother Justus Montel, man from Abidorne, County Kerry, who was a, a keen uh, um, Irish Islander and uh, was very uh, interested in giving his boys a good foundation in their own native language. And um, he seemingly uh, produced from the community library a copy of this compendium of Irish grammar for some purpose or another, I really cannot say. But um, it would seem that it remained uh, in the classroom and that um, our friend Padraig Mogpirish uh, who was probably the leading Gaelic student at the time, or Celtic as they called it then, um, took it on loan to consult it and seemingly forgot to return it. Books lent or rarely returned. And he afterwards uh, added this note uh, to explain how it came into his possession, how we stole it on this 5th day of December 1895. From both their parents, the Pierces inherited a tradition of generosity and hospitality. Sheila Byriad, daughter of Stefan Byriad, treasurer of the Gaelic League, was Padraig Pierce's goddaughter and was the recipient of numerous presents from him. We <laughs> 
and Sean Dowling recalls how the Pierce household extended beyond the usual siblings. There was a Miss Brady. I think her name was Mary Brady. She was a cousin of Mrs. Pierce. And she uh, pulled her weight, so to speak, by acting as a housekeeper, I think. She worked about the place. There were quite a, a few attaches there. Pierce had a, a large burden on his back, you know, besides his mother and two sisters and a brother and his nephew. Alfred lived with him. There was also Miss Brady. And there was a Miss McSherry, and there was a Miss uh, Byrne. And uh, my sister has told me that, uh, I've discussed that matter with her once, and she told me that they were sort of protégés who had been, one of them was a dressmaker, she said, who uh, had fallen on evil days and was taken in by the Pierces and lived with them. But there were no relation. I was two years and five days old when my brother Willie was born. What greater thing has ever happened to me than the coming of that good comrade? Willie and I have been true brothers, companions. As a boy he was my only playmate. As a man he has been my only intimate friend. We have done and suffered much together and we have shared together a few deep joys. Well, Cas Tamil, he is a fakin there in the Shannon Lower, Siskal Alleen, Sikolosha Alleen, August Dara, Marajas Lady Dernish, RGV Willie Pierce Ovishi, Shabli and Yeg Dish, Fursamaker Hosse Frastel, Mar Artisan, a rang an eha, Nervishi Shabli and Yeg Dish, in the Octiog Noka Shocked, August Lanshare I, Cashe Shock Mlean, Mar Printishuk eha, a frastel erna rang in a shin, moon lorked stoilum, sneered orked. Is in a yak shin, a kylis rarty, we blean, newers and lour, no bed and ochrocious lour, ach, and shin hanikshe, lan imshruck, agus vishe frasteler rang in a lay, as egegera, the goblin, vishe scalaruct seer, on realtus of yon and shin, Lord Lady there departments free student. Rod Keelian is Doilam Garoshe Atrainal Mar Munchor Alin. Is uh stopping uh and countishin again blean Nadiag Agus a Hendiag. Uh Nilam Rokinche and in Yikshin a Dimikshe Gaji South Kensington. No, Savlian knock will she luches uh Laura Kalashta Shin Ajar Nadiag Agus a Kahagas Nadiag Agus a Kuig Ta Kesh Twishin. Boilam scale, uh, insecure, princess, Margustelat, scale, Marialer, Anamavi, Liam, Scalosha, Agustahosi, Escria, Anam, Insan, 
Academy. O Milanekeds is she, good e Milanekeds a tridiog, being our lied Rutherford, the quid Willie Pierce, Gockflein, August no price na Louita. We have an interesting piece of modelling, um, uh, with the name engraved on the side, W uh, Willie W Pierce. Uh, it was presented by one of the friends of the old school when we were building up our school museum some 15 or 20 years back. It may be the head of a lion, or it may not, but it is very beautifully done. There's a delightful finish shown, and there was certainly the, um, the background of an artistic soul in the man who did the work. I had a little statue, a statuette, clay, a clay statuette, uh, of uh, Mabel Gorman, with whom he was extremely, apparently in love with me, although she was much younger than him, I can't say. But this was a statue of her. And my father bought it at the, at a, a, a Neonach art exhibition, the Sinn Féin art exhibition called Éanach Nanulag. That would be about the year 1910 or 11. he bought this. Well, it, we had it in the, in the house, but uh, during the Civil War, uh, our house was raided by, uh, well, what will you say? I won't say murder gang. Tough boys. The Rough House gang. And uh, I needn't tell you, I wasn't there, neither was my brother. He was in jail. And... Uh, they took my mother and father out of their beds and, and they were made to watch while the whole place was broken up. And uh, they broke up this statue. It was a small affair, about 12 inches high. But uh, the following morning, my mother went to the trouble of picking up all the pieces she could find out, every bit, every scrap of this hundreds of pieces and put all the remains into a bag and years afterwards she gave them to me could I do anything with them and I was talking to Liam Gogan who was head of the uh, science and art section in the museum 
that time and he said give it to me he said we we can do wonders with that here and they did a marvelous job on it they put it back together perfectly so i left it in the museum on loan while willie was too small to play with my sister margaret and i were sufficiently loving companions in those days she was both bigger and of a more dominating character than i and she generally had her way she insisted that her wisdom and experience were riper than mine and by dint of hearing this again and again repeated i came to believe it and to entertain for her a serious respect she was uh, quiet uh, quite obviously a woman of great intelligence and she had a very strong will uh, when she was in the senate she was on a number of occasions chairman of committees and of a committee and uh, uh, the reports that I got was that she was an excellent chairman. She was the eldest of the Peace family and in that way uh, she um, more or less was the leader in their childish, uh, childish games when they were playing as children. She took the lead and uh, I think to a large extent to the rest of their life uh, he looked up to her too as a, a sort of a, an, as a almost as to a mother. You knew the, um, the mother and Margaret and Mary Bridget and it was quite a number of years afterwards that I met Mary Bridget. I'd heard about her and I knew that she was not very um, strong. I understand she was a bit eccentric even when going to school that she used to wear a shawl and uh, that she was different from the other children. Um, at the same time, she was a, seemed to be a very brilliant woman and um, a great musician, but uh, very um, undependable with regards to keeping time. She um, wrote plays and that and she taught the piano uh, the harp and um, she produced the plays for them she had a very good sense of humor and um, that but she seemed to be always suffering from pains and aches and in a heat wave you'd see her she was like Johnny Forty Cuts um, she seemed to want to be different from the rest of the family, whether that she took after her British father or not, I don't know. I was told a story that one time they were at the Gaiety Theatre and when um, the National Anthem was started uh, before the performance, she sat down and somebody told her, it's the National Anthem. She says, it's not even good music. <laughs> she refused to stand. <laughs> Somebody said, imagine Patrick Pierce's sister not standing up for the national anthem. Mary Bridget um, is an odd figure in a way, and I think she was regarded as an odd figure in, in the uh, uncharitable use of odd that we often have as, as a little bit off or eccentric. And yet I feel that her um, 
our book and our writings are much closer than anything that Margaret did because I think Margaret contributed a, to a great extent uh, to making Plaster Saint out of Patrick Pierce and I don't think this was Mary Bridget's approach at all but she seems to have been weak physically either that or she went into the fashionable decline around the 19th century type of base but she doesn't come across as a strong character as a personality in her own right and she may well have been the nicest of them all. Sean Dowling would not agree but he does see Mary Bridget as inheriting with Padraig the question in mind and intellect of their father. Yes, insofar as they had it. The only one that I could be sure had it, of course, was Patrick Pierce himself, who was highly intellectual. But I, I don't know that the, uh, there was any evidence of her amongst, oh, amongst the others, except perhaps Mary Bridget, the least uh, personable of them, the least attractive of them. Mary Bridget didn't approve very much of the, the national aspirations of the, the rest of the family, I think. No, not at all, I believe. Not at all. She considered herself English. But the others did, and unquestionably, Willie was uh, intensely Irish. And, of course, Margaret. Margaret Pierce, Senator, was the last survivor of the Pierce family. It's fitting that the final comment should come from Professor Dennis Gwynn, one of Padraig Pierce's most distinguished pupils, and in the context of Scoileana, where the work of the family as a unit was most apparent. My memories of Margaret Pierce would always be centred around the first opening of St Enda's School. She was then still a young woman, and she had come to help her brother Padraig in his brave enterprise of starting an Irish-speaking secondary school. His whole family were devoted to him, and his mother came to act as matron of the school, while Margaret undertook the practical housework and the management of a very difficult experiment. A small number, including myself, were boarders, and she would come to make sure that we had every comfort for the night. From start to finish, she had a deep hero worship for her brother and his ideals. In fact, he had been scarcely even political when the school started. He wished to have a bilingual school in which English and Irish would be used on equal terms. I doubt whether in those early years Margaret Pierce thought in terms of politics or of revolution. But her brother's views developed with unexpected force. And when he made the school primarily a centre for reviving extreme nationalism, she threw all her devotion and her energies into sharing his hopes and his sacrifices. She symbolised the intense affection and unity of that devoted family.